Would you take your Bible, please, and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to read, um, you'll see that we're studying today, 9 through 11. We're probably going to get about halfway through that. Oh, there's just so much here. It's so rich talking about the gospel that we've been singing about. Uh, but to give you context, in case you haven't been here, we're going to back all the way up to verse 1. I hope that doesn't wear you out. We're going to read with special emphasis on verses 9, 10, and 11 while you're finding that. Uh, thank you, Jim, for helping us to remember our brothers and sisters in Christ who are persecuted around the world and even... Uh, we had an earlier prayer time, and one of our young ladies prayed, there are people that are going through persecution here for their faith in Jesus Christ, and we need to remember them. We'll pray that in a minute. We'll also pray for all of those who've been affected. I, I hope you understand we didn't just call off ABF because it was inconvenient. We don't have electricity in part of our building. Hopefully, that'll come back just as Oh my, there have been a lot of you who've been impacted by that, and you'll have your electricity back on. And then we'll pray for Tuesday's election. Uh, Jan and I went early on Thursday morning, early voting. It was raining. It was messy. It was windy. It was cold. Uh, and we were the lucky ones that got through in two and a half hours. I would have done it if, if it had taken five. We feel that this time is so important. So please exercise our Christian stewardship, as you will, and uh, vote. I, I sent out, by the way, we'll read this in a minute, don't get where it's standing. I sent out, and not all of us are getting our emails, uh, a, a couple of articles. Uh, John Piper, whom I greatly, greatly respect, wrote an article that I, I, I was a little bit surprised. I didn't agree with his article, and so later on um, came across Wayne Grudem's response. Very, very good. I encourage you to find those. Ask somebody who has received those if you haven't received them, and read those uh, before you go and vote. That's my point of view anyway. So let's read the Word, and then we'll pray and get right into our study today. Now as to the times and the epics, brethren, we have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves, now watch the pronouns here. I'm going to mention that several times. You, Christian, we're going to change in just a minute. We're talking about day people and night people, okay? For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon, notice the change of pronoun, them, suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. Now, Paul comes back to the gospel. This is beautiful. And I, I, this week it hit me, the wording of how he, he does this in verse 9. 
I would have thought he would just say, for God has destined us for salvation, but he puts a negative in there. He wants us as believers to understand something. For God has not destined us for wrath. I could stop there. We could go home. That ought to be the most encouraging thing we should hear today. God's not destined you for wrath. But what has he destined you for? Obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, believer, who died for us. We've been singing about that. So that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we are We've already passed away and we're, our body's in the grave, or we are awake. We will live together with Him in either situation. Therefore, because this is of great encouragement, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. Father, praise you. Thank you for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you that the gospel is what you use to to create, as we talked about last night, these brand new creatures, these, these creations of yours, believers in Jesus Christ of all stripes and colors and ages and sizes and shapes and all of the rest of that. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And God, you've done that through the marvelous blood of your son, Jesus, and through no effort of our own. We praise you for that. Thank you that that message is, is one that will carry us through the end no matter what is going on around us. While, as Jim said earlier, we live in relative peace for right now, comfort for right now. Lord, there are other brothers and sisters in the world who do not. And they live under threat, literally, of death. Great tribulation, Lord, great persecution, and we pray for them again. And then, Father, we ask you to have your hand on, and you do, Lord, we affirm that, but have your hand on these elections, help us to do our part in what we believe is the right thing to do for ourselves, for our country, for uh, generations to come, but Lord, help us to remember that you are building your church come what may. So we thank you for this study. I pray for clarity. Oh, God, there's so many things in here, and I'm not going to get through it all today. And so we pray that you would help us now to study and to take in, to respond to the things that you tell us. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. I know that you're glad to be allowed to do that. You know, I was thinking this last week um, about the ice storms and the election and Oh, just a lot of things that were going on. And for some reason, uh, and I kind of, if you're an outdoors person, you, you've done a little bit of this kind of thing, and the winter is coming up, and so you, I hope you want to be prepared. And, and so I started thinking about survival guides. Anybody ever, ever read a survival guide? I mean, just a basic survival guide. If you're smart, you will, uh, and certain things. Like I said, outdoor survival guides. There are hot weather and there are cold weather survival guides. Uh, let me turn this on and I'll click it over there. I just wrote down a couple. And by the way, I researched this. I went to Google, which is infallible, right? And so I just looked up and these things are really in existence. I mean, there are books and articles, mostly books that have the titles Survival Guide 4. And then you fill in the blank with good gracious, a number of things. 
like not only outdoor, that's obvious, but dating. Dating survival guides. You need to get one of those for your sons or daughters particularly. Marriage survival guides. Surviving the teen years. There's a survival guide for teenagers. Now, it's broken down. Really? Boys, girls, young men, young women, survival guide for being teenagers. There's even a survival guide for LGBTQ teens. There are survival guides for old age. I ordered it yesterday. No, I didn't really. I just thought I'd throw that in. Survival guides for social media. Do, do we need a little bit of that these days? Survival guides for church. Uh, You've been in some church situations, so have I, where you probably need a survival guide. You're going to get through the whole thing. Well, wait a minute. It even comes down to more of a focus. Survival guide for pastors and for pastors' wives. And for, I, I looked up a number of different ministries that are in the church. Right after pastors was a survival guide. Jonathan, where are you? You'll like this. For music pastors, for worship pastors. Okay. One of the most interesting, I found an incredible graphic. I resisted the temptation to put it up for you. The zombie apocalypse guide, survival guide, all right? And, of course, end of the world. How many of you were part of your old, not that, you're old enough to remember what you did when the whole world almost came to a stop, Y2K. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Did anybody else fill 55-gallon drums with, with water? We did. We didn't take it seriously. Or... Wait, wait, or did we? See, that's the kind of thing when there's so much hype, you're really not quite sure what to do. Well, let me share with you, and I just gave you from God's Word, and you can expand it, the guide for how to survive eternity. The most sobering truth in all of Scripture is spelled out in this passage. And here it is. God will pour out His wrath, and this is why I read the whole passage, on those who are, we we used this phrase last week, I would encourage you to go back and reread that or re-listen to that, for night people. And, And these kind of night people are identified through Scripture through this book, in this passage, the summary statement is, well, it's, it's actually found, and if you still got your Bible open or you can just flip up on your smart device, I don't have it on the screen, but I'd like you to just go over there. It's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. This is a summary statement of these kinds of people. In case you're wondering, am I a day person? Am I a night person? The the wrath of God is going to come on night people? Uh, Wow. Then who are these night people? This is a good summary statement and identifier. We'll also identify as we go through here, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 8, okay? 
Look at it. When the Lord Jesus, and this is a part of a, of a whole statement that he's making now about the coming of the Lord. That's been the theme in chapter 4, 5, and on through uh, 2 Thessalonians. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, don't get hung up. This is a parenthesis on when you think that's going to happen. Just know that this is going to happen. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Wow. And then comes this about the wrath of his Father, inflicting vengeance. This is the Lord Jesus doing this. On those, here's the identifier, who do not know God. On those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, I don't know. Now, here's what I always want you to do. Poke holes in everything I say. The Bible would say have a Berean spirit. I'm just going to say poke holes in everything I say. You do your homework and go home and look at these things to see if the things that I've tried to share from you pull out of Scripture and share with you are true or not. And I'm saying that this sobering theme of the wrath of God is the most sobering thing in all of Scripture. Now, we've just said that's the way it's going to be and is already for night people. What about for day people? I just read for you and you read along with me that we are not children of the darkness. We are not children, people of the night. We are people of the day. We are people of the light. So hear me well because this is what Paul is saying. I hope you got it. That's why, that's why he ends it with saying, encourage one another with these words. You talk about sobering on one hand, this has to be, this really has to be the most encouraging thing that you and I can hear. Amen. This will not be the case for day people. Remember the pronouns. It said a lot of things about us. And then it said a lot of things about them. There is a sharp distinction. The most encouraging thing, even more than the things that we read and understand about how bad God's wrath is, is that God, listen to this please, God has not destined us for wrath. No matter what comes to you, Christian, no matter what comes to our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world, we will never, ever, ever experience God's wrath. Now, the reason I, I kind of slowed down and, and said that deliberately and, and, and emphasized that is because we've got a lot of stuff going on in solid, solid churches, and a lot of Christians are running around today feeling that they are under God's wrath. And that is absolutely not true because it says right here, God has not destined you, believer, for wrath. Is that encouraging? 
Okay, that, that's the uh, basic introduction. We're going we're gonna to look at a couple of things here, a couple of words. We're not going to get too much in depth because what I want to do is get right up to God's wrath, and we're, we're going to finish it today with, with a gospel call. We, we try to always do this, but we're going to expand our thinking about the wrath of God. I hope, I think, it was for me. It's still expanding, so I hope it does for you too. But we're going to walk through a couple of things and then hunker down on the reality of God's wrath and maybe what it means, give a few illustrations. And here, here's my point. I want to persuade you today. I, I want to convince you about the things that the Bible says. So here's why. So that, believer, you can be encouraged. That's Paul's goal. But if you have wandered in here, if you've been coming and you have realized that you're one of them, you're one of the people of darkness, night people, I, I, I want to do my best to persuade you. If I had to come down out of this, this area that's raised above you and grab you by the shoulders, I would. I want to persuade you to avoid the wrath of God. Okay, so let's look at it again. You, you got your Bible still open, haven't you? To uh, chapter 5, and let's look at it in the first part of verse 9. Our salvation is based on God's purpose. Thank God it is. For God has not destined us for wrath, but what is he destined for us for? To obtain salvation. Let's look, look just real briefly at that word destined. Here's what it means. By the way, you got to believe it because it's in the Bible. It is. And so we'll talk about what it basically means. Now, we can have, and we do, in this group right here. And in Christendom, we have various opinions on what exactly that means. But here is the, the Greek word means to predestine, to appoint, to pick, or to place. Now, whatever else, please hear this, whatever else this word means, we must always remember that it's a precious truth to those of us who are in Christ. Let me tell you what it's not. It's not fatalism. It's what some opponents of predestination believe. And there are some groups who believe that. It's not fatalism. So, I, you know, I'm squeezed into this thing where I have no choice. I'm a, I'm a robot. I'm an automaton. And that is not the, pic, the biblical picture of this word, destined or predestined. It's not the fatalism I know this is not politically correct, but it's true of, of one of the largest religious groups in the world today, the Muslims, who believe in a false god called Allah. Now, I, people are going to be shocked that I even said that. They believe their God is the one true God. We believe our God is the one true God. Can, if you really are thinking logically or biblically or, or any which way, can you really have one God that is the only true God and have two of them? So I'm just simply saying the same thing that they would say about their religion. I'm saying it for our belief 
in God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, one God. And all other, I'm, I'm putting God in, in quotation marks, little g, all other gods are false gods. I am really, I, I don't want to be unkind to anyone. But in the political climate today, we, we can't say truth sometimes because we're afraid we're going to offend somebody. And this is exactly the case. It's, listen, it's a difficult doctrine. And I, I'm not going to try to work out all the implications of it today. If you want a little bit more, I've been here a, a little over 15 years. When I first came, guess, or do you, some of you remember, that's a dangerous question for a preacher to ask. What book I first preached when I came here? Who? Yeah, some of you remember. Who in the world would come and in a brand new church preach through the book of Malachi? Well, there's some great truth there. But you know what is discovered there? The doctrine of election and predestination. We also went through Ephesians later on. Guess what's in chapter 1? The doctrine of election and predestination. We preached through Romans. You know that for five plus years. Guess what's in Romans? the doctrine of election and predestination. Now, so I'm not going to go back. If you can find some of those sermons, you do it and listen to it. But let me just say this. Much of what is revealed in Scripture is clear, but a lot of it is shrouded in mystery. I can't figure out how to bring all of these things together but here's what I do know. You've got to embrace the doctrine of election or predestination. Why? Because it's in the Bible. Now, you don't have to believe the way I do about it. And we can still walk in fellowship, can't we? But you have to believe it, just like wrath, because it's in the Bible. Someone said, try talking about the doctrine of predestination, try to explain it and you may lose your mind. Try to explain it away and you may lose your soul. So here's what I've come to, and I, I use this as a general kind of a statement about how do you fit sovereign, the, the sovereignty of God in salvation? How do you fit the, the, the responsibility of man? And man is responsible for choosing. Okay, I'm and those words are, are they're very caref carefully chosen, okay? But here's what I think we ought to do, even though we can't fully understand it. You grab with one hand onto the truth of the scriptural truth of the sovereignty of God in salvation, and you grab with the other hand onto the truth of human responsibility in salvation. Does that help? Well, it helps one person. I really hope it does. Down through the years as I've taught this, and, and, and again, don't think you're going to come up. I don't understand it. You're not going to come away understanding it after today's little thing on, on this. Uh, and, and so people say along the way, well, I have a problem with this. Well, let me just smile and say as nicely as I can, the issue is not the problem we have. But what does God say? God's Word says that He is not 
destined you for wrath, but He's destined you for salvation. I, I love, uh, I've quoted Spurgeon a lot. You probably know this, nothing new for some of you. When Spurgeon was asked, how do you deal with these two realities? How do you reconcile? Some of you know his answer, don't you? He said, I never try to reconcile friends. They're both in the Bible. Enough said for now. Let's move on. Okay, we just looked at the word destined. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation. All right, we're going to go back to this. Who's the us? He's referring back to chapter 5, verse 5, where he talks about children of light. That's why we read the whole thing, children of light, children of day. Also, back all the way to chapter 1, verse 4, this fills it in a little bit more. He's talking about brothers and sisters. He's talking in chapter 1, verse 7, about believers. In chapter 1, verse 9, those who are repenters and God worshipers and servers. That's the us, as opposed to the them. Remember when I told you to look? Always when you're reading like this, look at the pronouns. They, they will really give you a lot of insight. You don't have to know Greek or look it up in the Blue Letter Bible. Us is us and them is them. So the them are referred to, again, in chapter 5, verse 5. We read it a moment ago as children of night and of darkness. Now, back in chapter 1, verse 9, it says they are idol worshipers. Let me show you something, a verse that we have talked about before. There are only two kind of people in the world. That's what Paul said. And I don't care, again, about the, your, your ethnic background or, or where you grew up or what language you speak or whatever. There are only two kinds of people in the world. Boy, there's a ton of application that grows out of this. There are either those who have exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and here's the key, they worship and serve the creature. They're idol worshipers. You say, well, I'm not. Yeah, if you're worshiping and serving yourself, you are your own idol, and then you will create other idols to worship. But the Thessalonians had turned away from that. Because everybody is either an idol worshiper, a self-worshipper of the creature, or he or she is a worshiper and server of the Creator who is God-blessed forever. Paul goes on to say that. Two people, two groups, two destinies. Very, very important. We've already said this, you know it. If you've been going to church for any length of time earlier... In Romans, see, we, we just did Romans 1.25. Go home, again, look at it. Have the Berean spirit. Are there really only two groups? Is it that simple and that profound? Are there really only two destinies? Can't can I kind of worm out of it? You mean my neighbor who... Sean Connery died yesterday. All of our cultural icons. Jan said... I wonder if he was a Christian. See, Sean Connery, and I could just go on and on about that. People who have gone on before us, people who have lived always, they're in one of two groups, one of two groups. And I, I don't know which group you're in. I hope you're in this group. And your destiny, like Paul has been saying, is not wrath but salvation. The gospel, 
for you has become the power of God for salvation. For which group? Children of light. Those who believe in the gospel. But the destiny of those who do not, the wrath of God, here it is again. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Now, now stop. This sounds like some really, really bad people. This is that group, night people. And they can look awfully moral and sometimes are, maybe even more moral than some of us. But they're night people. They live their lives to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And here is the truth that parallels what we just heard Paul say. You have not been destined for wrath, but who has? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. They did not see fit to acknowledge God. You can be the most seemingly spiritual, the most religious person of any number of religions. Do things morally better than any Christian in the world, but if you do not acknowledge God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and confess Him and repent of your sins, then you are in that second group. Unbelievers don't embrace the truth. Now, please, please hear this, because we've got a lot of stuff talking about. I just read a story, reread a story about a Christian who had apostatized. He was a so-called worship leader, a music leader, and he'd apostatized, and his reason was science. And I think they're confusing things when they say that. We're talking about true truth. Unbelievers can't embrace true truth. They can embrace certain kinds of truth, the two plus two equals four kind of truth, but ultimate truth, they just don't have a clue. And I don't care how long they've been preaching or leading worship or serving in a church. If they have not embraced truth, they are in that group that we just read. They do not obey the gospel. They reject, they reject it. When people talk about being lost, we talk about lost people needing the gospel. You know what an unbeliever hears? Well, by lost, they mean, you know, broken relationships, lack of purpose, lack of meaning. Because lost people see reality in a certain way. Now, let me give you a word. You might want to write this down. Here's the way lost people see life. Out of depravity. Depravity, write that down. A lot of confusion about this word and what it means. I said it a minute ago, sometimes lost people are better morally than some Christians. Depravity usually means you're just in the gutter. You're depraved, pervert. Depraved does not mean biblically that you are as bad as you could be or that you are worthless. Please understand that. But, like, and it's not up on the screen, but you might just jot down and go for a picture of depravity and how God remedies that, our, our helplessness, our hopelessness before God. Romans chapter 5, verses 6, 8, and 10. It says, while we were helpless. That's a picture of depravity. While we were helpless. Romans 5, 6, while we were helpless. 
Christ died. Then it goes on a little bit more severe. If while we were sinners, not just helpless, helpless can be passive. We were actively involved. We were sinners. What's the remedy? What's the remedy? Christ died for sinners. Verse 10 is the ultimate. From helpless, that's passive. Sinners is active. Way more active is enemies. If while we were enemies of God, He sent His Son to die for us. That's depravity. That's a picture of the group. Remember, only two groups. You're you're in one of two groups. And that's the picture. Okay, let's go on to the next word in the sentence. You know, there are times when we do broad sweeps through passages, and then there are times when so many words are so important that we understand what the whole thing is saying. Let's move on to the word wrath. Now, write some of this stuff down. You you need to understand what wrath is, the difference between God's wrath and and our anger and that kind of thing. So here's a definition. This is just a definition. God's, God's wrath is this. God's settled opposition to sin. God's settled opposition to sin. Now, that should give you a key to see that that people who are not believers are already under God's wrath, and then they still have wrath to face. Okay? Let me give you a couple of pictures, of word pictures. I hope this will help even the children to to understand that. Uh, I I was thinking about this this morning, and I thought, oh, great day. I'm going to date myself because I'm going to ask the kids, have you ever seen your dad grill something outside? on the grill? Yes or no? Do dads still grill? Okay. All right. Do you, would you understand if I talked about a charcoal fire? And I thought, well, very few people, the purists use charcoal. But back in the day, you know, it was always the charcoal fire. There wasn't a propane fire. It was charcoal. And so you build your mound of charcoal. Sometimes you'd use a big old metal coffee can. Anybody remember? And you build that mound, and if your kids are there watching you, I can remember this, and then it's really a lot of fun. You douse it with that lighter fluid. Now, you're never supposed to do the lighter fluid, not gasoline, lighter fluid, charcoal lighter fluid. And you just cover it and soak it, and then you tell your kids, okay, get back, because you know what's going to happen, and they love it. You throw the match on it, and whoosh. It just flames up, a very quick flare-up. And you know what? About as soon as it flares up, it gives out. But if you wait long enough, then you can take those coals which have become white hot. And you can't see a flame, but you spread them out. And that's what you grill your meat on. God's wrath is not a quick flare-up, what the Bible calls, please listen, an outburst of anger. The Bible talks of God's wrath. It is a settled 
opposition to sin. It is not an explosion. This is, when we talk about the character of God, this is why a lot of people reject the concept of the wrath of God. When we talk about it, it's not an explosion like a bomb, but it's measured, it's controlled, it's exacting, it's precise. I even thought of the word, it is surgical. There is never any collateral damage with God's wrath. There is with an outburst of anger with bombs where people say, I I just get mad and I just blow up like a bomb and then it's over. Well, you leave a lot of collateral damage in your wake. You think of how it's precise and even surgical Israel and the nations. The nations received his wrath. Israel didn't. Oh, they were, we don't have time for that today. We'll come back to that. Received his discipline. Yeah, yeah. Noah and the flood, surgical. Noah and his family did not experience God's wrath. The rest of them did. They were in the ark. You think that's a type of anything? How about Lot and Sodom? You may debate the character of Lot but it was surgical. Wrath was poured out on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, not on Lot and his family. My favorite example is the, the, the children of Israel in Egypt. When the plagues were poured out, it was surgical. There was not one gnat, not one fly, not one frog, not one boil on the children of Israel. How do you do that? Well, you're God. And God's wrath is poured out, but never, never on his covenant people. Ever. That's what Paul is saying right here. Let me give you another illustration. And again, poke holes. I, I, I didn't think about this one until this morning. Okay? I'm going over my sermon. I thought, wow. You know what? Okay, trust me. Teens and children, I want you to listen. A good parent, we're not talking about perfect parents, there's no such thing, okay? A good parent is full of wrath. What's the definition of wrath? Look at it. What is it? Settled opposition to sin. A good parent is full of wrath but not rage. There's a reason why God says that the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Rage and outrage, which are the, those are the words of the day. They're not wrath. Leave room, don't take your own vengeance, leave room for the wrath of God. A good parent is full of wrath. I, I have known um, people who, when they grew up, they described their dad. They said, you know, he was just the nicest guy, but we knew that there was this undercurrent of a settled disposition against sin. 
We knew that because if something happened and we disobeyed, we would discover what that wrath was like. Poke holes, okay? Are you poking holes even in that illustration right there? I'm just going to mention this. We won't get to it exactly this, this week. Sometimes God's discipline may, may really feel like wrath, but it's not, okay? Just know that. Now, here's the thing that I want to say that I, I don't know how you're going to receive this. Do you, do you love the wrath of God? Let me just say this. Now, we're talking about wrath, and then we're talking about the wrath of God. Do you love the concept of wrath? Most of you will say no until, and you, you know you do, because if you're driving down Memorial, I'm serious, and somebody zips by, and you know that the speed limit is 45, and for real, they're going 80 you have a sense of wrath. Wrath, as the old preachers used to say. You would love to see wrath poured out. Not vengeance. You don't know that person, but you would love to see that settled opposition against sin. So I know you love God's wrath. So here, here's what I'm trying to say in this sermon. Until you and I come to a real true appreciation, biblical appreciation of God's wrath, there will never be an appreciation of His salvation from wrath. Again, believe, unbelievers, unbelievers are already under the wrath of God. We know that from the words of Jesus. Here he's talking about the two groups. Paul talks about them. Romans 1.25, who believe, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, no wrath, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but what? The wrath of God. Now watch this, abides or remains on him. It's right now on, it's not just coming, it's a now thing, but it's also a not yet thing because it is coming, and this is, Wow. Romans 2, 5, and 6, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. Another question. Do you rejoice, Christian, in God's character? Okay, let me ask that again. I, I Really, at this point in the sermon... I'm looking at the time and all, you know, I know how much I've got to go and all the rest of that. And I'm wondering, are, are they with me? Have I lost them? Have I used words that, are commun that, that communicate? Uh, so I'm going to ask for a show of hands. I know you're not real vocal. Do you rejoice in God's character? Raise your hand if you do. Good. Is God's character always good and holy. Raise your hand if you believe that is. I've heard a song that says this. Could God's character be described as, excuse me, does, could God's love, part of His character, be described as fierce? Could it? Then why not His wrath? 
Is it more comfortable describing one aspect of God's character than the other? I, I did a, a word study. Do your own, poke holes. Do your own. The New Testament specifically speaks of God's love. Not love in general, not agape love that we have for one another. Speaks of God's love in the New Testament 20 times. Do you know the word love in any form is never even mentioned in the book of Acts? How do you do that? How do you start a church and preach the gospel and do all the things they did in the book of Acts and never even mention specifically in the sermons that are recorded God's love? The concept, now, I'm going to come back to the concept. Because even though they don't mention the words, God's love is constantly there because it's a part of the gospel and it's part of his character, okay? Fair enough? Now, 20 times for God's love. Guess how many times God's wrath is specifically, God's wrath specifically mentioned in the New Testament? 29 times. Prominent in the preaching of the teaching of John the Baptist, Jesus, all the apostles, John, the apostle of love, the apostle Paul. So, so here's what I'm saying. Biblically, shouldn't we be guided on our attitude toward all of God's character, including His wrath? Shouldn't we be guided more by the Word of God rather than by what people say in our culture? And even when we speak of things that are not palatable to man, by the way, this, the concept of wrath has never been palatable to man. If, if we begin to see it as a reality for our own encouragement and our own call to preach the gospel and as a reality to persuade and warn people to flee from it, wouldn't that be a sign of God's love? Today, the tendency is to downplay, <laughs> and I'm talking about Christian circles. By the way, doesn't that go with what's happening in our whole world? Second Thessalonians talks about a couple of things that have to, have to happen before the Lord comes back, and one of those is the great falling away of the church, the great apostasy. Could this be something that we are beginning to see some of that great apostasy even now? Lost mankind has always wanted to reject this, and it's nothing new. It goes all the way back to, a garden, uh, back to the garden. Have you ever thought about this? What was the real thing that Satan used against Eve in the temptation? Oh, there's so much that is there. It was his, now remember the exchanging the truth of God for a lie? He went all the way through this very, oh, he was, he was slick. And he went all the way through this, and then he said these words, talking about God's wrath, you surely will not die. It's been around for a long time. We cannot give people half-truths. You know what a half-truth is. I, I heard this definition once. It's very, I, I think, of a stuffed potato. 
It's the skin of truth stuffed with a lie. That's a half-truth. That's what Satan did. That's what, that's what people are doing today. I don't preach God's wrath because people already know about that and it would discourage them and all of the rest of those kinds of things. That is a half-truth. Remember, it's used more in the New Testament, speaking of God's wrath, than it is the love of God. It, it, what I'm saying is we need to balance it and give people the whole truth. So we know that the unsaved are presently under God's wrath. They will be under the wrath to come. Now, in the context of this study that we're doing, let me just say this. And we're, we talked the last couple of weeks about the end times, about the tribulation. Okay, write this down too. Don't get weary in well-doing. We're almost finished. Uh, there is a difference between tribulation and wrath. Tribulation and wrath. Got to get this down because there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of confusion because of end-time theories and because of the prosperity so-called gospel. It's not the gospel, the prosperity teaching that is out there in Christian churches. And so I hear commonly, now I'm not trying to get down on anybody because I know that there have been people who have said these kinds of things recently and you, all of us have probably. They've said things like this, I, I don't want to go through the tribulation, right? I don't want to go through tribulation at all. And then sometimes to, to, to shore up their own belief about that time when believers will not be going through the great tribulation, believers won't experience God's truth. Now, the first statement is wrong. The last statement is absolutely true. The first statement is, I don't want to go through the tribulation, but the thing about it is, you will. Or let me put it like this, believers will, but believers will never experience God's wrath. Here are a couple of things, I think I mentioned them last week real quickly. Would you write these down? John 16, 33, Jesus told his, his disciples because he loved them. He, he wanted them to have peace. Boy, what, what if Jesus had said, hey, guys, you're not, you're not going to go through tribulation. When it hit, would they have had peace? I'd rather tell you that you have tribulation in the world. This is an aside. Or that you're going through the great tribulation than for you to begin to go through it and say, that pastor lied to me. I figure this, if I tell you you're going through the tribulation and then Jesus is coming back and the pre-tribulation rapture happens, then I'm going to be there with you and you'll forgive me, okay, <laughs> of being wrong, not lying to you. Look at this. In the world you have tribulation. Who said that? Jesus. Paul said it like this, trying to encourage the church. By the way, he had just been stoned and left for dead. Wow. And he comes out, and they're coming back through after establishing churches. How in the world is Paul going to give these baby churches the encouragement they mean, they, they need? Well, through the Word, and he said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So, Christian, you and I are guaranteed to experience 
tribulation now, it may not be as bad. For those of us who live in the West, it's not. And whether we are in the great tribulation or not, there will be believers there. Many, many references, including the book of Revelation. There will be believers there that will be going through incredible tribulation. But never, can I say it again? Never, ever, ever will you be destined again to experience God's wrath. One more verse, then we're through. Romans 9, 22 through 23. Just in there, however you want to put that, pack that into your thinking. What if God, although willing to demonstrate His wrath, to make His power known, endured with much patience. He's so patient. Vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And He did so to make known the riches of His glory upon vessels of mercy which He prepared beforehand for glory. Now, let me just mention the second point there and give you uh, an invitation. Then we'll go home and hopefully think about this deeply. For those of us who are day people, our salvation is based not on ourselves but on God's provision through the atoning work of our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I really want to come back and and for us to, to go a little bit more deeply into the passive and active obedience of Christ and what that all means for us and how that, we, it, it's just incredible. It's part of the reason why we are not destined for wrath. But it says through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. Do you want to avoid wrath? Trick question. Who am I speaking to? To whom am I speaking? Non-believers. I couldn't be speaking to you if you're a believer. You're never, ever, ever, ever going to be under God's wrath. Do you, do you have a survival guide? Do you? My, my non-Christian friend? Yeah, I got it when I went through catechism. Yeah, I, when I was baptized, I got a little quieter black Bible, little Bible that they gave to me, and yeah, that's my survival guide. Well, listen, let me just tell you something. Your survival guide is not a what, it is a who. The what tells us about the who, but we look to the Lord Jesus Christ through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. The only way to survive the coming day of God's wrath is to be in Him. And the only way to be in Him is to do what Paul said in chapter 1, verse 9, to turn from idols, to leave that group that you're in, and to turn to worship and serve the living God through Jesus Christ. I beg of you, would you do that today? Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is clear. Uh, we know that. We understand that. But that's not to say your word is still not in many, many ways a mystery because you're infinite. And there are ways that your revelation in the word is 
is mysterious. And so, Lord, uh, that is true, but you've given us enough to know and to realize that we are in one of two groups here this morning. For those of us who know you, we're people of the light. We are day people. The wrath that we rightly deserve has been totally absorbed in Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. Thank you, Lord, for that. Don't let us ever take that for granted. But God, if there is any who is here, anyone, man or woman, boy or girl, realizes I'm not a person of the day, I'm a person of the night. I need to turn from my idolatry, worshiping and serving myself and all that is around me and worship and serve the living God to repent of his sin, to turn to faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work, his atoning work on their behalf. I pray that that will be done today. So, Father, seal all these things to our hearts. We thank you and praise you. Now, help us as we leave this place to uh, experience the joy of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen.